Hey everybody, welcome to Rumor Flies. I'm Ryan. Hello, I'm Josh. And that piece of shit is Greg from Indev Media. What up? And if you haven't guessed by Greg's little cue, we are having an alcohol episode today. What, what? So we are contractually obligated to drink alcohol for this episode. Contractually obligated? Obligated. So obligated. What about all the other episodes when we drink? We haven't already started. Shut up, Josh. They don't know that. If they don't know that by now, they do not. Actually, listen. I met somebody that had talked to us, and, and like he was like, "Wait, you're from Room Flies, right?" It's like, "Yeah." He's like, "You guys do drink when you're like recording." I was like, "No." You should just yeah, say, yeah. "No, it's all Foley." I add that in to make us look cool. I, <laughs> I can. Str- I very thoughtfully edit the slurs into our speech. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we bring a real authentic experience artificially. So anyway, we're doing an alcohol episode this season. Fuck yeah. Again. Yeah. And last time it was our season finale, but it's not this time. Fuck because, no. oh, I'm not going to fucking tell you. No, we won't. We got something special coming down the pipeline. Yeah, but in we all do. seriousness, it's going to be awesome. Yeah. It is something that has been a long time coming. I've been telling you for months. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. So anyway, I don't think we have much to talk about beforehand. Just know that we are properly ready for an alcohol episode at this point. We did our <laughs> ceremonial shotguns. Uh, uh, also, Ryan, please oh, tell TMI, them. TMI. Ryan, please tell them the drink of the night, like we did with uh, the last alcohol episode. Oh. Jesus Christ! I'm saving my drink of the night for my subject. Oh, okay, that's fine. What's your drink of the night? Uh, it was going to be a cold toddy, but yeah, it was going to be a cold toddy till the orange. Till juice. I told you to check the expiration date of the orange juice. <laughs> um, how about the fact that the expiration was nine days ago? Yeah. Can we just the fact that you knew it was expired and, and you did didn't nothing toss about it? it? Of course, we all do that. I was gonna, I was gonna uh, <laughs> go with the cold toddy again to kind of pay homage to last year's drinking episode, but now it's just a whiskey soda. You know that thing is a preventative for people that take things out of my fridge without asking, and I'm pretty sure don't check the expiration date. So, Josh, yeah. you're welcome. I got a silver bullet to follow it up, so I'm okay. So I'm gonna be starting us off here talking about something that I know that everybody has heard at some point that has partaken in an adult beverage, and I'm gonna be talking about vomiting helps a person sober up. Now, me personally, I've lived by this rule and have many a time slept next to the porcelain throne and uh, to be prepared for this moment when I need to just blow shards everywhere. You have the graceful stance down now. Yeah, I, I, there's been times where I've just fallen asleep next to the toilet and woken up and being like, I don't know where I am. I can't Until say I've been that bad. I have, what uh, year is it? Exactly. <laughs> I usually end up outside, but aside from the point. Well... The, the, whole, the whole thing about that is I, the p- thing you need to understand is that whenever you drink alcohol, it is just poison. <laughs> that is the simple fact of the matter. By it, the way, people, we do not promote binge drinking. No, we don't. We do not promote binge drinking. I didn't even but, ask y'all to do that. Thank you. Um, yeah, alcohol is poisoning. <laughs> That's all you're getting today, Greg. I know. <laughs> Essentially, when you're drinking alcohol, you're just, you're just poisoning yourself. There's, there's no way around it. Um, but it's not something, and it's not something that your body has naturally in it, you know, in any way, shape, or form. So... Uh, yeah, that's uh, something I need to establish. Now, when you drink, your liver breaks down alcohol at a constant rate. And the pretty much the rule of thumb is your liver breaks down one drink for every hour that, you, you know, after you drink. So you drink at seven o'clock, it will be eight o'clock until that drink is flushed out of your system. Even considering all the different body sizes, heights, and gender. I will get into that. Okay. Um, <laughs> For this far into this podcast, Ryan has yet to stop shitting on everything. You know, I am actually predicting you shitting on one of my topics before I even mention it. So just go ahead. I can't wait. 
But yes, so your liver typically breaks down, you know, alcohol at the same rate. So like I said, the general rule of thumb, though, that doesn't apply for everyone. It doesn't take into account uh, the ABV of the drink. It doesn't take account to your gender, how tall you are, your height, you know, weight, anything like that. That's just the general consensus. It's different for everyone. I'm sure it's different for people in Ireland. That's because they drink a lot. That's nationalist. Is that the right term for it? I, I don't have any problems it's, with that. It's it, yeah. Anyway, moving on. Um, fist, I can't. I got nothing. So the way alcohol is broken down in your system is that it enters the bloodstream through the walls of the small intestine. So with this, alcohol breaks down in water, and you have to remember that a big part of your body is made up of water. Now we're not quite jellyfish, but you know we, we there is about sixty percent, seventy percent of our you know insides are made up of water. We're half jellyfish. Mm, we're like. Two-thirds jellyfish. I'll go with that. Okay. <laughs> oh, that's more than I was given. So essentially, the alcohol is absorbed through the body tissue, which is proportional to the amount of water that is in your body because, you know, it does change, you know, per person, whatever. So the brass tacks of this is no. Throwing up does not help you sober up. The only thing that can help you sober up, Ryan, you want to take a guess what it is? Not drinking. Okay. No, that's technically not even correct. Greg? Pick me. What is it? Time. Yes. Good job. Well, Gold yeah, that's Greg. what I meant. Just stop drinking. No, f*** you, Ryan. The you're wrong. The same thing for like being no, a drug no, test. You said no, not drinking. Not drinking is very different than time. It's tangential to each no, other. No, no, no. So not ping, drinking is derivative of waiting for time. No. Ping, Josh is technically, technically correct. The best kind of correct. Third time. You're technically shut up, Greg. Fourth time. <laughs> peeing. <laughs> Uh, peeing, sweating, and vomiting just doesn't get rid of the alcohol because our liver is what does all the work. It leaves the body more slowly than it enters. The liver. The liver. <laughs> um, so what basically is the big proverbial middle finger to Ryan, even when you vomit, there is still alcohol in your system. So if you vomit and stop drinking, there is still alcohol in your system. Why is this a middle finger to me? Because of what you just said. Stop drinking does not mean you won't, you won't be drunk. Okay. So what you're saying is just the same way as the uh, Coca-Cola spermicide works, really ejecting everything before it's too late, is it's still going to be too late. Good, the, good verb usage, ejecting. Yes. Just, you know, shoveling out of there. It, it's past closing time. Um, yeah. So basically, like I said, alcohol doesn't process through your body the same way you, you would normally um with with food and drink does it get like a fast pass yeah i mean it's pretty much bypassed straight to your liver because there's no reason for it to be broken down in any way shape or form except for when your liver does it so putting all this together why does a person get more drunk after they stop drinking well it's just because like i said and give the middle finger to ryan their body is still processing alcohol after they stop drinking if you drink you know eight beers general rule of thumb it's going to take eight hours before it's out of your system so Going one step for, further, 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 further. <laughs> this process of digesting alcohol is why you suffer memory loss or impaired judgment or anything else when you drink. That's why you, you have people who are, I uh, have the air quotes coming through the phone, a different person uh, once they are drunk. Impaired judgment. I make my best Amazon one-click buys while drunk, all right? I, 
Okay. Uh, your brain is mostly made of water um, and the blood vessels that are in them uh, and the excess and with the excess alcohol, it stays in your system. And that's what affects, you know, your brain and your body and everything else like that. This is why, you know, you can be uh, blacking out or browning out, depending on where you're at or not remember things or even be more aggressive or things like that is because this alcohol impairs your judgment. Are you fucking saying I'm browning out right now? Fuck you, dude. Yeah, I mean that that's why people who like that's a great example. When when you, you have somebody who drinks too much and you're like, "All right, I think you need to slow down." That's why they might get a little hostile because of that exact We're reason. both thinking of the same person. Yes, we are. Love you, buddy, whoever you are. You know You, who are, you are the best. <laughs> but yeah, so that's that's pretty much it. So vomiting doesn't really help. Now Greg brought up the instance of if you decide to take a shot and within like 20 seconds, you immediately projectile vomit everywhere. Yeah. Then the alcohol is really not going to be in your system long enough to do anything. But uh, one thing I did mention to him is that like, there is, there is still going to have something in there because like, you know, the, the taste buds in your mouth and things like that uh, are going to have taste alcohol, at least some bit before, you know, you shoot it across the room. So I'm throwing you shitty questions right now, but say you're playing Edward 40 hands, which should we even explain it? An nope. age-old conquest of nope. the battle Edward, of wills. Say you're playing Edward Forty Hands, and you just decide to, like, after halfway through, just go throw it up. And you have nothing else in your stomach. And you just have, like, this big fish bowl full of beer in your stomach. Or malt liquor. That's what, By the way, do you know malt liquor is different depending on which state you're in by ABV percentage? I don't know. I, don't, I drink beer, not malt liquor. <laughs> okay, you're getting into some uh, touch territory right there, Josh. <laughs> I mean, it's true. I don't it's either five liquor. to eight percent ABV for a beer to be considered a malt liquor. Okay. Anyway, so you say you drink enough Old English, and then you just throw it up immediately afterwards. Yeah. There's no way that you can actually absorb all of that alcohol like straight into your liver right then and there. Are you talking about if you chug all forty ounces or whatever it is of malt liquor? You have it done within, let's say. Five to ten minutes. No, it's still going to be in your system. Okay. I mean, not all of it because I'm sure some of it will come out when you throw up, but there will still be some effects of the alcohol being in your system. I mean, there's got to be a bouncer at the door of the liver that says, not all at once, please, please. Well, no, it's slow at at, at breaking it down, and and that is something I will get into with my next topic. Oh, okay. Excuse me. A little foreshadowing. Um, but yeah, that, uh, it, your, your liver con- constantly breaks down alcohol at the same time. So that is like why you said, and one thing I will reiterate for the last time, if you drink and then stop drinking, it is possible that the moment you stop drinking, you could feel just drunk and buzzed and fine. But an hour later you feel pretty blacked out is because your body's still processing everything. I don't even go with all, man. Just give me a minute. All right, yeah. <laughs> please. <laughs> So that's uh, that's vomiting in a nutshell. All right. I, I like that one. I feel like that that is. It's useful. Be, it's useful to know. I mean, our target audience is college age children, right? So us. Yeah. Yeah. yeah pretty no, much. College age children. Yeah. We're going for the prodigies like the 13 year olds that get into freshman year for electrical engineering. Oh, that's not us. That's not us at all. No, not even no. a little. OK. But anyway, so. Ryan. Tell them about the Green Fairy. We got tips. <laughs> we got tips for Rush Week, man. So Dude, uh, he's, he's giving you a way to climb out of that hole. Whatever. It's your job to throw away the shovel. We told them not to binge drink. <laughs> so anyway, I am going to be covering the Green Fairy today. The Green Fairy, as most people I would think know from Eurotrip. I would think um, that I is I think Moulin Rouge. I was gonna say Tinkerbell. Even look at that. Look at that spread. 
Okay. We're, take some context in right now. We're talking about a drinking episode. You know, both just take a little bit of context and like a half scoop of fuck you. All right. Like, so like just, last episode, I swear to God, we're going to get through this. I swear we're going to get through this. So the green fairy, <laughs> the rumor is that absinthe can make you trip. Uh, as seen in the movie Euro Trip, like I said, which a lot of people have seen, I'm assuming, that have been, I guess that uh, a lot of Americans have seen. Because I was actually, okay. Dr- <laughs> Wait, who's one being nationalist now, Ryan? Uh, well, me. I'll, I'll admit it, you know. I'll say it. So, I guess I'll go ahead and say what my drink of the night is. I'm, I'm drinking absinthe because I'll get into it a little bit more why, other than the fact that we're covering this. But I have this stuff called Atelier V. I don't know how to pronounce it. Greg, you were born in France. How do you pronounce it? Greg was born in France. Yeah. <laughs> your last name is... Uh, your last name is Tilton. How do you not know how to pronounce this? I, I love me croissant and baguette. My middle name is actually more French. I know your middle name is Dupuy, okay? Oh, shit. He has a pronounce. I saw your wedding invite. I was just going to say, I know from the wedding invite. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm impressed your ability to pronounce it. There you go, rumor yeah. flies. You know Greg is getting married Doopy. to Dupuy. Everybody get married. So uh, anyway, I'm drinking Atelier V, uh, Red Toulouse Absinthe, which is kind of a little bit out of the norm. Uh, and we actually, you know, prepare it the traditional way. This so, episode brought to you by. Yeah, exactly. They should owe us a few bucks at this point. <laughs> um, anyway, so I guess we should get into Absinthe. Uh, real quick, you guys have seen Eurotrip, right? Yes. There is a part where they're in Amsterdam and they're drinking absinthe and like, oh, it's all illegal in America. We can't drink this there. And then they drink this green concoction and then they end up tripping and seeing this green fairy going around. That is like the best um, boiled down version of this myth. Absinthe is a high ABV spirit traditionally distilled with anise, wormwood, and fennel and other similar herbs. It is often mistakenly considered to be a liqueur. But since there is no added sugar, it is a spirit. I didn't know that beforehand. I didn't know that that's what made the difference between a liqueur and a spirit. I was just—I didn't know it had fennel in it. I mean, fennel I just tastes... had fennel for the first time like the other day. It's fucking good. <laughs> Do you like anise at all? I don't know. Fennel tastes somewhat similar to anise. I don't—I don't know what anise is. Anise is the stuff they use for licorice. Oh, then no. You don't like black licorice? No. Okay. Or all white right. licorice? I don't judge. I don't like licorice. Doesn't matter the color. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, uh, absinthe rose to popularity in France in the 1800s as a favorite drink across all classes and is famously favored by the painter Vincent van Gogh. So, if it wasn't for the fact that he was, you know, Psycho, eating lead crazy. paint on the rag, he was also drinking absinthe. And the idea is that whenever you drink absinthe, you can constantly get these sort of like hallucinations or just things feel a little bit different than with regular booze. And I, I'll say absinthe's pretty tasty, so I, I, I'll go for that. I'll take the hallucinations for the tastiness of it. Both of you hated this when I prepared it, but, you know. It just, it, absinthe has a very distinct licorice taste. I've had it in many cocktails, and it's, it's nice in there, but uh, it's a straight drink, no matter what how it's dressed up. It's and I don't very li- licorice forward. I don't like licorice. Yeah, it, it, if you don't like licorice or don't drink ouzo or well, absinthe. Or Sambuco. Greg, you being a naturalized New Orleanian should like oh this a whole God. lot. So New Orleans actually we need be- an episode now. There's so many you've done the past like two or three episodes. We need a, like a rumor flies Greg like <laughs> stuff Ryan said about me. So uh, <laughs> New Orleans became famous. Uh, We're just gonna call the episode "piece of shit." There we go. <laughs> <laughs> 
New Orleans became known for absinthe usage and is credited for creating a Sazerac, which is considered to be the first absinthe cocktail. Really? Yes. Nice. I generally thought that it was a whiskey cocktail, but it was using absinthe in the first iterations a of it. A proper Sazerac is a spritz of absinthe in the glass, right? And yeah. then Let it on fire, right? Is that the one you light on no, fire? No, 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 no. That's a flaming out of pepper. Correct me if I'm wrong. No. Maybe I'm wrong here. I thought, so I always heard it was the first cocktail ever. And it was a spritz of absinthe in the glass, and then you so basically like an absinthe rinse essentially. And then you do they do have spray bottles? Rye back then? whiskey. Oh, there's probably plenty of ways. To, I mean, you have perfumes as old, you know, spritzers. But I, I imagine you could concoct them anyway. Otherwise, you do an absinthe rinse. But then it would be rye whiskey, and then a lemon peel. Yeah, right. Like, that's what I that's actually looked proper, up the original yeah, one. It's yeah. like it is uh, complemented with absinthe rather than being the right. main Focal ingredient. Point. Yeah. So. Anyway, that was a little bit of New Orleans history right there. And, Greg, that was very good for somebody who's just, like, absorbing the culture. And somebody who was born in France. Well, he went from Orleans to New Orleans, so it's not that big of a jump. You mean Orléans. See? Right there. So, with my brother sitting here listening to this going, like, he's in France right now. He's going to be like, oh, my brother's such an embarrassment to this family. (laughs) He's just sitting there going, (laughs) your brother's sitting there going, piece of shit, piece of shit, piece of shit. A little bit of backstory That's to Greg. That's going to be fun to edit, by the uh, way. He was the only one that got sent over here to America because they thought he had the best chance in college. And that's why his brother's sitting over there in France saying, oh, he's such an embarrassment to the family. He didn't even live up to anything. He's a podcaster now. What the hell? So anyway. I wanted to, I wanted to chase the wealth and glory of podcasting. So <laughs> <laughs> It's funny because it's meta. With the influence of the, temper, the temperance movement in the early 1900s, absinthe was banned in the Netherlands, Switzerland, the United States, France, Belgium, Brazil, and, of course, the Congo Free State. What is the temperance movement? Of course, movement? the Congo Free State. What is the temperance movement? The temperance movement was a movement from, Greg's going to take this since he is a history major. Okay, apparently. <laughs> so, uh, pre and during Prohibition, you had the temperance movement. It went on for several decades. I can't name the exact year it started. It started roughly around the early 1800s, like 1820s, 1830s. Boom, so I just got schooled. Anyway, so the temperance movement um, was, was actually uh, very predominantly run by women. Um, nice. It was um, a movement to basically um, reduce and eventually remove alcohol. Um, and that's ultimately what led to the what sixteenth, seventeenth amendment. Was that was no? I can't remember. I can't remember the exact amendment that Doesn't was matter. prohibition. But anyway, point being that it's what ultimately led to the legislation that led to the amendment of removing alcohol from America. So you can blame the temperance movement for the you know decade or so of uh, dark ages and so, so alcohol to, production in America. So to put it simply, the temperance movement was the predecessor to. Um, prohibition. 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 Okay. If it's anything, the movement that a lot, it's the movement that pushed for it and ultimately acquired, had it happen. Okay. It was the Wick. Um. So anyway, the one. the Wick and it oh, got ignited and then it just blew up into Prohibition. So anyway, uh, this was influenced primarily by a report in 1905 where a Swiss farmer and known alcoholic, I'll keep that in mind there, uh, drank two glasses of absinthe and then as any reasonable person would do, murdered his family. Oh. So, um, guys, watch out. I have two ounces in here instead of one for the uh, average uh, absinthe cocktail, so there you go. So you're going to murder your fam? Yeah, I'm going to murder my fam. I got your farm. So anyway, keeping in mind that he had also drank large amounts of wine and brandy before drinking, according to witness testimony, absinthe still took the blame, and this led to a few years later, this was the cited 
instance for why we should all ban absinthe. And it was about 100 years until it was reintroduced back into uh, into the United States or any of the Euro- of Europe. Uh, the United States, I think, unbanned it in 2007. So just real quick here with very little I know about absinthe. Absinthe itself is not bad for you. It's a particular component of it that they add to it. That is the problem that oh, makes sharding, you yeah. trip. All right, you're sharding on me right now, not shitting on it. You just you, you're you're leading me in. I see the tracks. Okay, I'm going there. Uh, no, no, no. I'm just asking. Like that's what I've always heard. Yes. So absinthe took the brunt of this, and it was banned because, as opposed to other liquors in all those other countries, because they said that it was much more known for causing raucous behavior or violent crimes and such and such and such. Well, it's got a higher ABV. It's gonna get you drunk quicker. You're gonna fuck shit up. Yeah, of course. Thank you. You're, you're officially turtle-heading on me right now. So, okay. Uh, what we're going to go ahead and do is talk about the hallucinations. Uh, like I said, Vincent Van Gogh was known to drink this, but so are a lot of other uh, very artistic people, like, for instance, Oscar Wilde. Greg, do you want to read the quote from Oscar Wilde? <clears throat> After the first glass of absinthe, you see things as you wish they were. After the second, you see them as they are not. Finally, you see things as they really are. And that is the most horrible thing in the world. <laughs> I mean, dissociated. Take a top hat. You think you see it as it really is, but you don't because you associate it with other things and ideas. If you had never heard of one before and suddenly saw it alone, you'd be frightened or you'd laugh. That is the effect absinthe has, and that is why it drives men mad. Three nights I sat up all night drinking absinthe and thinking that I was singularly clear headed and sane. The waiter came in and began watering the sawdust. The most wonderful flowers, tulips, lilies, and roses sprang up and made a garden in the cafe. Quote, don't you see them? End quote. I said to him. Open quote. Mais non, monsieur, il n'y a rien. Close quote. So after uh, that, you can see that absinthe clearly has a somewhat different feel to it than most liquor. And I'm I'm lab riding myself at the moment by drinking this and I, I don't believe it. But anyway, <laughs> uh, what most people blame for these hallucinations is something called, and you guys get to go ahead and correct me on the way I pronounce something because I didn't look it up. I didn't check the umlauts or anything over it. It is pronounced uh, thujone, tujone, or thuhone. Uh, tuhone. Wormwood. Well, that's the, we're talking. About, we're talking heard. about the compound, not the actual oh, plant. Okay, okay. We already saying. mentioned wormwood. Okay. <laughs> so uh, it's T H U J O N E. I like Thujon because that sounds real Cajun. Thujon? Thujon. Thujon. This episode brought to you by Thujon. <laughs> so anyway, uh, Thujon is believed to be the culprit for the hallucinations present in absinthe when somebody drinks large amounts of it. However, this isn't what is used to actually distill the absinthe. It's just you use grain alcohol and then you add those flavors, much like uh, herb saint or, I guess, gin. So thujone is a component of wormwood, and it is also a neurotoxic in large quantities. It causes convulsions by blocking GABA receptors in the brain. I would go into more detail, but honestly, it's not worth it. So basically what it does is it, it affects parts of your brain, and uh, it, it makes you act all crazy like alcohol normally would? No. It makes you convulse like a typical epileptic would. Oh, that's so, a little different. Yes. Okay. <laughs> However, uh, many uh, studies have been done on thujone, and there are not a lot of hallucinogenic, hallucinogenic properties that are associated with this compound. So that's out the door in the first place. Well, then why would it be called a neurotoxic? It's neurotoxic because it causes convulsions. It doesn't make you hallucinate. It just oh, makes okay. you convulse. Okay, okay, sorry. Uh, so anyway, 
Aston was previously thought to contain near-toxic doses of thujones, so that's why people thought you were tripping. However, even after we established that, you know, thujone does not cause any hallucinations, as according to studies, in rats and a few humans, uh, somewhere between 260 to 350 milligrams per liter was believed to be in absinthe at the time before any testing was done. That's still not a hell of a lot, though. It's a lot if you think about how much I is mean, in a Tylenol, like 25 uh, milligrams. It, okay, it, I guess that's it, fair. It, it's a good bit. Like, you only, you know, it's like a, a quarter of a gram. I, I guess I just expected more. I mean, it depends on how much you have in there. Yeah. However, a 2008 study of pre-banned bottles of absinthe, so these were made before it was banned, so hundred, like over 100 years old, uh, were taken, and then they were studied with GCMS, my bread and butter, we already talked about that, to determine that actually there's only about 0.5 to 48.3 milligrams per liter of Tujone present in those pre-banned bottles of absinthe. So it's still not a hell of a lot. It averaged at 25.4, yeah. well below the toxicity level and well below even noticing it's there. Um, and in 2005, a study that recreated the traditional high wormwood recipes, and like I said, um, when the ban was lifted on these absinths, a lot of the companies were like, well, we won't put as much wormwood in there. It's just going to take more, taste more like, you know, anise than anything. And honestly, this one does too. But uh, you can get some really high quality absinths that are bitter as fuck, and it's because of the wormwood. Huh. I think I'd like that better. The ones that because I want a trip because I just don't like the way absinthe actually tastes. We'll go to an absinthe bar sometime. The old absinthe house in New Orleans. They have the high quality ones that are really bitter and don't taste like licorice at all. But aside from that, they recreated these old high wormwood recipes and they found uh, roughly 4.3 milligrams per liter in that amount of absinthe. Okay. So that was lower than even the pre-banned bottles. For the ones that you put a lot of wormwood in. So even if uh, this thujong does a lot of uh, damage to your brain, the amount that's in there from drinking tons of it wouldn't even do much to you. I mean, like after the distillation process and everything, it's almost not there. So is absinthe really – it wasn't really ever able to make you – trip or anything like that so i looked into that and i couldn't find a solid answer on why people point to absinthe for tripping and there's a few different theories that i have okay so the study's going to stop right there and here's just me positing on what i think happened i think it was bad distillation processes and possible other particular uh impurities that we don't know of number one this only happened in really france so there could have people. been something else that happened that involved like a hallucinogenic property to it or maybe something that changed it. Uh, I don't know French history. Greg does. So, you know, he can comment on it later. But also, I would like to blame it on bad distillation processes. There's only so many absinthe producers and potentially it could have been methanol poisoning. Methanol is... Cigarettes. No. That's menthol. Damn it. So methanol is a byproduct of the distillation process. Usually when you distill a alcohol... You have the ethanol that comes out, like the actual stuff that gets you drunk. But before that, you get methanol. And methanol, you take out the first cut of it. Yeah. In, okay. I remember this, this. Yeah, I remember this. You take out a little bit before you actually start selling it because methanol is poisonous. It can cause blindness. Uh, but, you know, the short-term effects is hallucinations. And a plethora of other bad things, even from inhaling it. So back then, some of them may have not known that you should not be leaving the entire cut in there. You have to take off that first batch. So if you're looking at like a, a, a vat of freshly distilled alcohol, you would have um, 
the water content, and then you have the ethanol, and then you have the methanol. Most of the time they take off a top layer, so it's a predetermined amount to make sure that nobody's getting poisoned by the methanol, and then you have the ethanol. That's why distillation is supposedly illegal in the U.S. You can't distill a single drop of liquor because it's potentially uh, lethal. Yeah, yeah, it's harmful. It's harmful. Yeah. There's tons of other arguments you could do for that, but I'm not going to get into them. So anyway, I think that possibly it could have been methanol poisoning that could have led to these hallucinations. That's just me guessing. So what you're saying is that while absinthe might have affected people back then, it wasn't because of the wormwood or anything like that. That's the long story short. Yeah. I, it's not too, Joan. That is clearly not the culprit because it's not even there enough to even have you feel it if it did have effects of hallucinations. Okay. So absinthe, completely all right to drink. It shouldn't have been banned for 100 years. Thanks, Swiss Farmer, for killing your family and getting this banned for us for a while, you know. Thanks for ruining the fun. Yeah. So anyway, uh, I'm done with that long-winded rant about a single liquor. So I'm going to be talking about carving up before drinking helps you prevent having a hangover. This is relevant to me because I did this literally before we started recording. I do this pretty much every time I go and partake in uh, adult beverages with friends and family and coworkers. So we've all been all there at before. the same time. Yes, we've all been there before. Those of us who who have uh, you know been going out for a long night of drinking and partying and having fun. Uh, we've all made sure that we ate before we went out. And I mean, we've all also justified ordering a pizza at three in the morning because it would help you not get, not feel too terrible the next day. Or maybe that's just me because I'm a piece of shit. But, um, anyway, this kind of actually falls really closely to what I recovered before about vomiting. Now, much lo- <laughs> vomiting from, you know, making you sober, I should not just vomiting in general, uh, my topic before. <laughs> so much like before, um, alcohol entering your bloodstream is very different than the way food or drink does. So whatever you eat never really does interact with the alcohol in a way that would help you prevent from getting drunk or anything like that. So when you eat, the flu- the food does slow down um, your, your, the way uh, your body digests it and, and processes anything. But like I said, not at such a rate that it would have an effect on the alcohol itself. So in Space Mountain terms, say that you have like three fast passes or say that somebody gave you that we're going pre-bracelet time. I have no idea where you're going with this. So I'm I'm, I'm along for the ride. I'm very curious. (laughs) Say you have like as many fast passes as you want and me and you are alcohol and we have those fast passes on Space Mountain. We can easily go into that line and go straight onto the ride, pretty much, as opposed to all the plebs that are crowded around in the regular line. Okay. However, there's some other plebs that are kind of like blocking the fast pass line that are continuously trying to go in there and be like, oh, um, I can go in here, right? It's like, no, this is for fast pass. And they get pushed over to the other longer line. So we still have to push through them. But once we do, we can go through, right? Yeah. So food does block a little bit. But it doesn't do anything. You're going through two different lines straight to the bloodstream. That might be the worst analogy that's technically correct, but yes. <laughs> okay. That's a, that, uh, yes. So, yes. You know what? That's the end of the podcast. See you later, everyone. <laughs> it um, was so bad that he had to quit doing this podcast because he couldn't come with a retort for it. All right. We are not doing season three. <laughs> <laughs> no, Ryan, you are techni- technically correct. The food in your system does help slow down the digestive process, but it will never, ever, ever hinder the way alcohol interacts with your system. It will never make, you know, there is no magic amount of food that you eat, no magic amount of carbs or calories or anything that will prevent you from getting drunk or anything like that. Yeah, the way I've always heard it is that 
Having food in your system before you start drinking slows the absorption of alcohol. That is all it does. It does slow the pace of absorption. Yes, to an extent. Yeah, like not like not, one for one. Yeah, but yes, yeah, yeah, if, yeah. You, if you go in hungry and drink, you'll feel it faster and stronger. And if you have food in your stomach, it'll come on slower. Yes. And more spread out over time. Yes. So it's always better to have food in your system before you drink. That's the bottom line. All right. So I thought this was going to be a complete like just end my ritual. So I wouldn't be carving up anyway. I wouldn't eat high carb foods or anything like that. It really is the question. Is it? All foods or is it just carby uh, foods? That's a really good question. I, I think it's just food in general because food is energy and you have to digest it to get the energy. So by simple digestion, it slows down the way your body. So everybody's in line. They're, okay. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I, I would so assume. So there's not a fast pass, a regular and a handicap line. It's just a fast pass and regular line. Yes. I'm just going by different divisions we're yes. talking about right yeah. now. Like I mean, so carbs, it, the handicap line, and then, you know, the rest of the food is the regular. Yeah. So, I mean. Uh, now just to start confusing people. <laughs> it, it's one thing if you like, <laughs> you know, if you're eating pasta, I'm sure that might have a slightly more effect, but not probably anything too noticeable as opposed to eating a salad. I think that the idea behind carbs is that they do like expand in your stomach, like, you know, rice or I think we've gone over this before that rice doesn't really expand that much in your stomach. It's sesame seed that, you know, bird seed that does more. Or something yeah, we like did. That. that like carbs expand in your stomach as they're in there. So it kind of pads it and, you know, there's more porous things for the alcohol to go through. But that, that's not the case because they don't interact with each other enough to, to really make a difference. We also have to consider mass and densities. Gravity still works in our stomach. Like the heavier things will go to the bottom or the more dense things will go to the bottom. And then yeah. alcohol kind of just can swash around all of them. So we talked about that. That's why you cannot get pregnant if the girl's on top. Oh, yeah, you're right. We are wrapping this. everything up in this episode. Except for our dicks, because that's We're a done. dick joke. Let's go. Next We're not one. even releasing oh, the next episode. Next Guys, topic. enjoys. This is the rest of it. Next topic. Let's go. All right. So uh, this one is going to be much less sciencey than you think it's going to be. The, the first topic was my, uh, that was my workhorse of the episode. The rest of them are just going to be fun. This one is something that I didn't know which category to put it in for our episodes. We could have put this in drugs, but we didn't. This one is, can you make LSD out of Foster's beer? Australian Foster's. for beer. Foster's. Australian for beer. You sound like a like, concerned Jewish mother there. What? <laughs> Foster's. Foster's. Greg, why don't you eat your Foster's? Do you have Foster's over in France? <laughs> Corinne probably hates us now. I hate you all. <laughs> I hate you. I had to hear that in my head. So was. was that Paul Hogan doing the uh, Foster's LSD? Uh, well, sorry, the Foster's commercial? I assume that Paul Hogan's the only Australian person that ever puts his voice on things now. Sorry, Corinne. Oh, my God. We are, like, just losing a listener right now. Oi, Russell Crowe. (laughs) What's it up? I couldn't Uh, find cancer, but uh, I found uh, man with cancer. Tugger, come on, Tugger. Singing songs, fighting around the world. (laughs) Making movies. (laughs) Making movies, singing. Unpopular opinion of the day, Rumor Flies audience. Russell Crowe was a very good Javert. Agreed. Thank you. Unpopular right. opinion of the day. I liked American Gangster. Yeah, I didn't. That's fine. There we go. It's really unpopular. So anyway, uh, Foster's, the idea is that it can be used as uh, a precursor to LSD. So LSD is something we've talked about a few times on the show before. It is something that makes you trip like crazy. What does LSD stand for, Ryan? Lysergic acid diethylamide, I believe. Off the dome. That's pretty good. I, I want to say I'm right. Greg, you can go ahead and fact check me. And I, will, I will do my penalty shot one. immediately. Lysergic acid, acid diet. Yeah, what you said. I was right. Okay, cool. <laughs> there we go. 
So anyway, uh, lysergic said. acid diethylamide can be made from Foster's beer. And this has been an ongoing myth for, I thought, a very long time, but not as long as it actually ended up being. So uh, What does that even mean? <laughs> I'll get to that. It's I'm been not going on for a long time, but not exactly I said I long. thought it had been going on for a long time, but not as long as it actually Still doesn't clarify it. Okay. <laughs> All right. Toot, toot. Let's go. <laughs> Listeners, we're going to put a poll on Twitter. Tell them if tell tell us if you understood me. So anyway, uh, a lot of people think that you can make uh, acid out of LSD. I said that three times already, but doesn't matter. Same bit. Turns out that this is an internet origin. Greg loves origins. It's great. Or he says origins. Uh, so oh my uh, god, <laughs> Greg is a big fan of origins and. I found it this time. I actually didn't have to do too much digging because I, I've seen this a bunch of times over the years that you can do this. But, I mean, I never even looked at the recipe. Well, not only did I find the origin of it, I found the original recipe. It stemmed in 1995 on an alt-drugs forum. Supposedly it was com, but all I saw was an archive of it. But I found the actual recipe for this Foster's Beer LSD. And it turns out that it was a joke. It says it's straight up right there on the header. This is a joke. But some people don't like to read headers. Please don't try this. It can hurt you. So that being said, I feel completely all right to read the recipe to everybody. I'm not going to read it in the full form, but I'm going to give you the condensed version of it. Uh, Number one, this is complete bullshit. Don't try it. It doesn't work. You can't make acid out of Foster's beer. Especially if you look at the yields from this at the end of it, you'll know why you can't make Foster's beer because there would be, well, sorry, LSD because there would be tons and tons of tons of LSD on the market. And just for those dumb people like, uh, you know, Greg and me, uh, yield is the product. Yes. Okay. So you have your precursors and you have your yield, what you put in and then what you get out. Usually what you get out is a lot less than the amount of things you put in. That's life, Ryan. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, So anyway... Uh, so you start off with uh, 12 cans of Fosters. So I'm not sure if you should use uh, like the whole like mini keg of it because they have like a whole bunch of different Fosters beers. But we're going to go ahead with just 12-ounce cans of Fosters beer. It's Australian for beer, right? Um, I, that's how Please sponsor us. Anyway, so you take a 12-pack of Fosters, and then you, in increments of three uh, cans of beer per or bottles they're either 12 ounces same thing you boil it down until it's a, like nice like a goopy serum so you put it down and you reduce it so you just boil it slowly simmer it until it gets kind of thick yeah. and then you add more of the actual beer like three more cans and then keep boiling it down until it's this goop and then the last three actually two more batches of that and then you have this nice little foster's goop afterwards it sounds delicious and the idea behind this and the explanation is no, because it that it does not sound delicious no it doesn't <laughs> so the idea behind this is that fosters in this document says that it is one of the last beers that is used with uh, that is made using ergotized grains and ergot is actually what a lot of people blame for a lot of uh, crazy dancing plagues and such in Rome back in the day, or even it, 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 that it is a supposed precursor to making LSD. Ergot is a fungus that can cause a lot of craziness in humans. So they're saying that Foster's uses ergotized grains. Let's go ahead and say this right now. Any grains that are used in beer production are usually checked for any sort of fungus or toxin very stringently if they're going to be put on the market. So we're going to go ahead and throw that one out the window right now. So you're telling me it's bullshit. 
Yes, but let's just go ahead and keep going with it. Let's just keep rolling this ball down the hill. Okay. Let's just like just make it as big as possible. So you have your ergotized grain fosters, and you have this nice little like ergot sludge of fosters beer in the pot. Now you're gonna obviously have what, Josh? That's right, pH issues. So you're gonna need to go ahead and raise the pH a little bit and make it neutral because obviously this foster sludge is gonna be highly acidic. So what should you add to this? That's right, non-fat milk. Because it's basic. Yes. Even though it's the least basic out of all of the milks. <laughs> so what you're going to go ahead and do is add this non-fat milk to it. And I would just stop there. This beer sludge milk co- uh, concoction sounds great. Yeah, it does. Yeah, right? I no. mean, Greg, would you drink that? Oh, let me tell you. Beer sludge and milk. So after you have the base, you know, and the acids figured out, you have the pH all balanced, you go ahead and you have your two grams of lysine that you can get from a drugstore. For the record, I don't think you can get two grams of lysine from a drugstore anymore. So that's the adding the lysergic part to it right there. Just add Lysol instead. So you have your acid and you add your lysergic to it, and then you add the lysine to it. Two grams, you just crush it up after you cool down that little sludge mixture with milk, and then you add, like, that powdered lysine to the mixture. Okay. Right? Yep. Okay. So you're following this me right here? Sure. So this is a uh, – I'm going to go ahead with a sentence right here from this. This is step number four. You, quote, unquote, want LSD, lysergic acid diethylamide. However, and so you need to ethylate your compound and then aminate it because all you have is your lysergic acid right now. So you need to – I'm <laughs> hearing a lot of words. So basically I'll, – I'll give you this right now. These are technically correct, but the next steps I'm going to say are not what you need to get to those points. So basically what you're saying is you have the L, now you need the SD portion. Yes. Okay. Well, yeah, I, I never got the whole acronym for it. It doesn't really work that well, the, the abbreviation. But anyway, so you have your lysergic. Now you need your ethylate. You need to aminate it. it that's just – it's pure ridiculous. Nobody will ever say that in a scholarly article. And I know immediately afterwards – But they'll say I'm it gonna on get, I'm gonna get. <laughs> I'm going to get an email with somebody saying ammoniated or something. Actually – so, first, we're going to go ahead and ethylate it. So, what you need for that is what has ethyl in it? Ethyl alcohol, obviously. What we're drinking right Nursing now homes. in this absinthe. So, uh, ethyl alcohol. So, you have your methanol and you have your ethanol. Ethanol is ethyl alcohol. So, you're going to add either one cup of ethyl alcohol to it or a little bit, of, like a cup and some change of Everclear, which we have, uh, if you've seen our pepper video, know how that affects people pretty well. So... Once you boil out all the alcohol out of the Foster's beer and have that sludge, you need to reintroduce alcohol into it. Makes total sense, right? Yep. Okay. So after that, also, once again, it's, it sounds like I'm tearing apart this recipe. This dude wrote it as a joke. but I, I, I think that was established, yeah. I, I don't know who I'm like ripping into right now. The last thing, you have your now we've ethylated it with ethyl alcohol after you've added that one cup. Then you need to aminate it. And... Easy way, dude, it's easy. All you got to do is add four ounces of pure ammonia to it. Yeah. And then no, you have your LSD. That's lethal, if I'm correct. I was like, going to say, I, I, you... I didn't understand half what's going on, but I heard the word ammonia, and I'm like, oh, yeah, about that. I'm pretty sure that could not end up too well for you. You don't know that. Find me a scholarly source that tells me four ounces of ammonia will kill you. Plus, it doesn't matter, because after this, the expected yield of this LSD is 100 grams over a million doses. Oh. Well, that's a lot. So I'm giving you people a business venture that you should definitely not (laughs) fucking try.
Okay. I mean, they can try it. It's just not going to end well. Greg just held a switchblade to me. I thought those were illegal in the States. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, that is the rest of that. It's a complete bogus recipe. You cannot make LSD from Foster's beer, and you probably could not make a good time or a night with that Foster's beer because Foster's is terrible. I've never, had, I've never had Foster's. No peanut gallery? Okay, that's I've our video. enough tonight. I've been way too active. That's our video supplement. So we're going to drink Foster's beer and make LSD with it. We're going to follow this recipe. Sounds good. All right, we're good. If, if right. we can decipher half the words you just said. Josh, up to you next. Yeah, I'm going to end the, the night, uh, my last topic, I should say. End your night. Yeah, end my night. We're talking about breaking the seal. Now, this is something that I know... Pretty much everybody has heard at, at some point, and I don't. I don't like make, like to make uh, generalizations, but I'm sure people have heard that. Yes, we know you're looking at both me and Greg at the same time with two different eyes. You leave my cross-eyedness. He alone. just went straight up chameleon on us. <laughs> well, this turns out this is actually pretty interesting um, because there is no <laughs> physiological basis as to why this happened. Bullshit. I, I read it on the internet. Bullshit. I don't care. I'm going my mom on MSG for this one. Okay. Alcohol intensifies your needs to pee. You need to pee. And it doesn't matter whether it's beer or a mixed drink or a shot or anything of the sort. Alcohol in general makes you need to pee more. Like coffee, it's a diuretic. Yes. That's that's a very good. Yes. That's a great point. Greg. So you don't call him out on it. Okay. I see how it is, Josh. Call him out on what? It wasn't Shitting on notes. your topic? It wasn't his note. No, yeah, I, I actually don't have that in my notes. That's I'm sorry that I don't read your notes. Yeah, you can f*** yourself. Um, so getting into the science of it now. <laughs> when you drink alcohol... Give the exchange student a pass. I get it. All right. <laughs> oh, my God. Hey, exchange immigrant, Ryan, okay? Okay. Um, when you drink alcohol, it suppresses vasopressin. I have no idea if that's correct. That's what I'm going with. I'm going to live with it. At worst, it's vasopressin. I, I'll give you the pass on that one. Okay. I don't even know. So vasopressin. Uh, its two primary functions are retaining water in the kidneys and constricting blood vessels. So in my dumb terms... Vasovascular and then press. Constrict blood vessels. It's you know, great. Ryan, I had that exact thought. I was like, oh man, that totally makes sense. Now, um, no, I didn't. So what basically, in my terms, it does is it regulates the rate at which we retain, retain water. And uh, when we drink, it determines how much water is sent to your bladder. That's its primary function. So alcohol blocks the release of vasopressin. It essentially allows the water to go straight into your body and your body sends it straight into your bladder. So it's like a super water slide. It's, that's awesome. It's like an express track pretty much. So the alcohol blocks these receptors in your body. And when you drink more, the alcohol irritates your body, which gives you the urge to pee when your bladder gets full. Now, here's the interesting thing, which is very relevant to you two who have the bladder of children. Um, I break the seal very early. I know it's going to happen. I just don't like being uncomfortable, man. Well, our bladder only holds about three to 400 cubic centimeters. I can't picture that in my head. <laughs> it's it's not a hell of a lot. It's it's a, it's okay, but it's it's moderate, but it's not a hell of I'm a lot. I'm looking at my fist and saying, that's less than a can of beer still. So, <laughs> so the ur th that's where the urge to be comes from, from drinking this this one thing called the vasopressin blocks the receptors in your brain which tells you to retain more water and because of that alcohol you know is a liquid and when it is in your system they send it straight to your bladder and it irritates your bladder which gives you the urge to pee now the other thing that scientists have mentioned before you know I mo we move on to our last topic is that there is some sort of mental uh 
ability behind this that makes you need to pee more as well. You mean so, the power of suggestion? I feel like we need to have like a soundbite with that. I figure at this point in the podcast, there needs to be like a soundbite. Um, yeah, pretty much. If you sit there and you think about enough that, oh man, I'm gonna have to pee in 10 minutes, chances are you're gonna have to pee in 10 minutes. Well, it is true. I remember reading something about this. We'll, we'll probably need to look this up at some point, but I remember reading about um, if you're, if you have, you know, you've been holding it to go to the bathroom, as you get closer to the bathroom, that feeling intensifies like crazy because your body's actually responding like, oh, it's going to happen. Yeah, I, I think there is something to that. I, I, I don't, I, well, I have not read anything corroborating that. But uh, from my life experiences, whether it's onesies or twosies, that definitely plays a factor. Wait, Bra- so is it breaking the brown seal too? I never thought about that, Ryan, but um, I can't comment on that, Greg. Next season. <laughs> Currently checking getting near bathroom intensifies your need to go pee. I'm looking at that one right now. So, yeah, I, I haven't seen a whole lot about breaking the seal on uh, number two, but um, I'm seeing a little bit about number one, mostly about conditioning. That's um, anytime you get near a bathroom or near a space you associate with the bathroom, that your brain might be reacting to it and sending signals, but nothing that really... Oh, that's a confirmed. That's a totally ones. real thing, though. Like oh, yeah. I know, like oh yeah, it gets very intense. If I just you're had, like, you're if like I just had a very big meal and like had to rush in the morning, and I am like past doing my schedule, you, everybody's had that. Where like if you know you're in the proximity of a toilet, your ass knows that too. So it just immediately is like, dude, it's okay. You're no, within no, like five what, feet of it. This is what is about. Pavlov. I think that's the case. No, it is it a Pavlovian thing. It's all right because like. So this actually makes for a nice segue with uh, onesies or twosies <laughs> coming out, as opposed to putting thing and sort of things and by things I mean alcohol into your onesies or twosies, Ryan. Oh, we're talking about some one-way streets, except uh, most of them can end up being two-way depending on how you live your life. Everything's a two-way street, Ryan. <laughs> Even ears. All right, so we're going to be talking about the most mature thing I've ever covered in this entire podcast. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and just give it the, um, not what I put in the title, but what I looked up to find a better term, uh, alcohol enemas and, uh, vodka tampons, but we have it right here as Ash slash vagina chugging. Yeah, I should have thought of better words for that. So, um, the myth of this is that one can, um, this was done in, I believe Jackass 3D. Was that the right one? There's been so many iterations of the Jackass franchise, I can't really separate them. But in one it was of, in one of them. In one yes. of the Jackass movies, Steve-O put a beer bong straight up his asshole and then chugged at least a beer. Yeah, he butt-chugged, yes. Yeah, he butt-chugged. Butt-chugging, that's a good way to put it, too. So the idea is that you can get drunker faster if you, A, this is for both people, uh, put a just a tube straight up your ass and just pour some alcoholic beverage down there and just let it sit for a little bit. And then B, for the ladies, you can soak a tampon in your alcohol of choice and then just just shove it straight up the baby hole and um, afterwards you'll get drunk. I mean, that's that's the simple boiled down version of this. There have been a few news reports actually about the whole tampon thing and there's been a few here and there about the whole alcohol enemas, but that's been lasting a little bit longer than the tampons. However... Uh, both of these have a little bit of legitimacy to them. And by a little bit, I mean a lot. The idea is that the, uh, the tissue that is lining the both, uh, col- col- but the anus. yeah, the anus, I guess the anus and past that, like the small intestine, the intestinal tract 
and the uh, vaginal tissue both do not have a particular enzyme in them that the stomach does, and it's called alcohol dehydrogenase, which when you drink alcohol will break a little bit of it down so that uh, it cuts out about 20% of the alcohol that you're actually drinking, and the rest of it goes through to your liver and the rest of your bloodstream. And it also gets absorbed into your bloodstream much faster because it doesn't have to go to the stomach first. Yeah, we, we kind of covered this about how um, alcohol kind of dissolves in water a little bit, so that's a good good point to it as yes. well. Yes, so... Uh, once again, also, in the Pepper video that we keep referencing, and keep watching it and subscribe to us on YouTube, we're so close to having 100 viewers oh, and, then, a sweet and plug subscribers, there. and we can you know, just have our own name on there. Uh, so anyway, uh, I didn't want to do because my because your oral tissue, your anal tissue, and mm-hmm. that's just, anal tissue sounds so gross. That's just toilet paper. And then vaginal tissue uh, can absorb alcohol much faster and get to the bloodstream much faster than the rest of your body which can lead to a few bad things, like, for instance, alcohol poisoning, much faster than your average dosage by mouth. Okay. So, A, don't do it. It sucks. It, it can hurt. Um, it we, burns! We have an example right here. In May 2004, a 50-year-old machine shop owner of Lake Jackson, Texas, don't know why him being a machine shop owner was pertinent to it. Yeah. But anyway, died after his wife administered an alcohol enema of sherry. In total, the man consumed two large bottles of sherry containing about three liters of the alcohol. He suffered from alcoholism and had difficulty ingesting the alcohol orally because of a painful throat ailment. So So, uh, can we go through a step-by-step of all the problems that happen with this? I, I think that's necessary. So if your throat is hurting from drinking alcohol, you should probably stop taking any alcohol whatsoever. Yes. Secondly... Holy shit! I just read this and actually like digested the fact that three liters of alcohol of sherry. Who drinks sherry? You use that internal soup down here. Well, you can you can you can drink a nice sherry. All right, next episode that we do, we are only drinking sherry, and let's see how much we enjoy that shit. I've had I've had that, and I've had um, uh, what's it called, Madeira. Sherry and Madeira. Those are two popular fortified wines. Yeah, and Sherry Temple. Well, it's not... Oh, God, boo. It's not very popular here in the States. No, it's but not. It is in France. So, um... I would know, apparently. <laughs> so, anyway, this guy clearly <laughs> had problems, but I will say, even the fact that his wife was uh, complicit in, I think, first-degree murder, that was, like, non-malice or anything like that. She didn't that. get charged, did she? She did. Oh, wow. I think it was dropped later. Because she wasn't meaning for it. She was trying to do something for her husband. But, Wait. like, so complicitness or not aside, I feel like this was uh, the best form of euthanasia that you can give a person. Oh, Christ on a cross, Ryan. I mean, I, I feel like, you know, that she accidentally killed him. It was not her fault. She was just being a she was being a good, you know, partner to him and doing what he asked, even though it killed him. She didn't know it would. <laughs> The collective sigh of Greg and I are like, God damn it. She didn't know it would kill him. She was. I'm all on board on that, but as an acceptable form of euthanasia, not quite going to go that far. Okay, strapped to a fucking board and then, like, shot he up with. He wasn't dying. He just had a throat ailment and wanted to get drunk. He was dying after she administered it. I mean, <sighs> like, something had to have been wrong. Okay. Oh, my God. I'm. I'm sorry, everybody. This is staying on, but I'm sorry. Anyway, somebody has died from butt chugging. There is a little bit of credence to the fact that you can butt chug and have adverse effects to it, as you know, evidenced by somebody dying from it. 
Anyway, so uh, let's go on to vaginal chugging. So the idea is that you can soak any sort of tampon in whatever liquor you want to and then just insert it right up the vagina and then afterwards it will have the same effect as butt chugging. A blog editor, uh, Danielle Cretenden, I believe that's the correct way to pronounce that, discovered when she experimented with the procedure, so somebody actually went and did field work on this. Okay. Uh that putting vodka into direct contact with the vaginal membrane hurts like the dickens. That's a quote with pain, not retreating after a few moments of discomfort, but rather continuing unbated for as long as the liquor is present and indeed well after in parentheses. Can I just say that for some reason I never pictured putting a tampon in anything other than like vodka or gin, all clear alcohol for some reason the, the darker alcohol just doesn't seem as enticing to me for that. Not that I have, A, the parts to do that, or B, the will or want to ever do that, but it's just always the, the clear alcohol. You know, I can see some virtue in that. You want, like, the purest thing, and usually the clearer things seem like they'd be the purer ones. Yeah. You know, I, I get that, you know? I mean, if we're going by, like, gender boundaries, I mean, I guess, you know, most of the time whiskey isn't seen as the dainty drink. So maybe this is sexist on here, saying that you just soak out a tampon and vodka. It just seems dirtier. I don't know it, why. It does. I, I would not put a whiskey or dark rum soaked tampon up my vagina. So comment on that as you will. Okay. <laughs> uh, so anyway, uh, Cretendon's research, who uh, this person is a hero. Her actually doing this, great job. She took one for the team. She really did. The entire global population team. Uh, Cretendon's research also showed that even a super plus tampon, which I assume is for just like extra absorption not for big vaginas for heavy loads yes for heavy output not just heavy uh ports not the uh, further explanations are not helping okay well anyway uh, that's what a lot of people have a misconception about everybody thinks that extra large tampons are for like big vaginas it's not for that it's for just people with heavy flow so anyway uh i'll (laughs) you done josh no but that's so funny so uh, the Super Plus tampon could absorb only 1.5 ounces of vodka, with a half ounce of that having to be wrung out prior to insertion. So, I'm sorry. I can't get over that Ryan's trying to be the voice of reason. Like, <laughs> no, they're not for big vaginas. It's for heavy flow, all right? Get your shit straight. <laughs> Ryan's the champion of heavy flow. Okay. 1.5 ounces of vodka were able to be fit into one of the, you know, super plus tampons. Like I said, with half ounce having to be wrung out. So, for reference, I put two ounces of absinthe in this glass before I prepared it the traditional way. And this is getting me okay. I mean, I'm complimenting it with Modelo Especial, the finest of Mexican beers. Sponsor us. This episode brought to you by. Anyway, so. It's not a whole lot. Well, One ounce not, of any alcohol, yeah. even Everclear, is not a whole lot. It's less than a shot. That's what I was going to say. It's equivocal to about one mixed drink, according to this article. But uh, <laughs> That's not a home pour. Right. So uh, the amount of alcohol, therefore, available to buzz, uh, <laughs> to provide a buzz to thrill-seeking teens would be akin to that found in one typical minced drink. Mixed drink, not minced. Uh, so the idea is that high school students, we know you're drinking. Just... Don't do it during class. Don't load a tampon filled with vodka or light rum or any other sort of 
dark rum or whiskey. <laughs> just don't soak a tampon and put it up your vagina. Just like guys, don't take a beer bong and put it up your ass and then don't chug any sort of alcohol with it. Just don't do it. You'll die. Do you want to be like this particular machine shop owner? Don't do it. I think if there's one thing we all learned from watching Jackass in the 90s, it's that don't do what Jackass did in the 90s. Uh, do you want to be Steve-O? <laughs> do you want that's, that's, Rumor flies. Do you want to be Steve-O? So uh, that uh, kind of wraps it up. Title. The idea is that, okay, <laughs> full disclosure, just like we had like a much more controversial topic last time for our drinking episode, this one, yes, you can get drunker from actually plugging in either hole uh, alcohol. But the deal is it apparently will hurt a lot for ladies and for guys it will still hurt and it will possibly kill you. So don't do it. Um, just drink it the regular way. Oh, and also another thing, a lot of people did this because they thought that it would not be detected in your breath. If like teens were to go home and they just butt chug, they oh, would that's not. a good point. Yeah. That's a good point right there. I guess there's a little wrap up. So they would think that the reason is that you wouldn't be able to detect it on your breath. One of the primary ways of expelling alcohol is from the lungs. So even if you took it in through uh. the butt, it would still come out through the lungs. So people would still be able to detect that. And also, let's go ahead and assume that you were butt chugging. Do you think you would be still moving in the same normal mannerisms that you would if you were sober around also, your parents? Also, the thing we never even said about breathalyzers, too, is that, like, say you pass a breathalyzer and a cop still thinks you're drunk. They It's not like you. they're like, oh, well, you passed it. See ya. Like, they can still do it dozen other tests and, and well, like, let's make it simple once again <laughs> you cannot win an argument with a cop on the side of the road yeah especially if you've been drinking uh and i mentioned this before greg but they can give you something called like a diw uh i believe what it's called a dw it's it's not like a dwi or a dui i think it's called a diw i, I can't remember the exact term like well I mentioned there's last dui season. and dwi depending on which state you're in yeah well i can't remember the exact term but um but basically what this says is that even though you did not register blowing over the breathalyzer amount, the cop still feels that you cannot drive or you are inebriated in some way, shape, or form, and they can take you to jail. And if and if you feel like contesting it, then they do a blood alcohol test and, well, you're not going to win that one. Nope. <laughs> so You can still fight that, though, but it also looks terrible yeah. for you. You do, don't get legal advice from her flies. Life advice. I don't, I don't think we're going to legalize the long no, short is that you're always going to lose. Yeah, well, that, that, that's the bottom line. Don't, yeah, don't be an idiot. <laughs> don't be stupid. Don't put yourself in the situation. So wrapping all of this up, it was really cool to come back to another alcohol episode. It wasn't as labor-intensive as the one from season one because we didn't have to do the video. But Yet. Yet. Um, okay. We uh, are all butt-chugging, okay? <laughs> but it was really cool coming Ryan back to everything. Well, the thing that I really liked about the topics that I covered is, you know, vomiting helps you sober up carving up before you know you drink and breaking the seal those are all three like major things i've heard yeah. consistently and i'm really glad to finally have an answer to all three of them josh covered the college appropriate topics for us and i covered like one high school appropriate topic for us <laughs> well no i'm really glad you, you talked about the absence because i've always heard you know about the wormwood and everything and there was uh, I took a trip to Mexico when I was like 16 or 17. I was on a cruise. And one of the, we went to, a, uh, my, my parents love buying alcohol. Um, 
Uh, well, in the in when you were not in America, because it's my duty parents free, love buying alcohol because it's duty free. You don't have to pay as much; it's cheaper. But one of the things that I remember seeing was they had uh, absinthe, and it said "still with the wormwood," and I was like, mm, uh, "That's not true." Well, n- well, wormwood like uh, it happened for a while. People were taking out the wormwood aspect of the absinthe, which essentially makes it like an ouzo, or I forgot the other name of the other one that they used after absinthe, um, but. I mean, it didn't matter anyway. Like, it was kind of like a slowly uh, degrading thing where people were like, okay, well, we can actually add a wormwood. It's not going to matter anyway. Yeah. Um, but I think you said you were 16 or 17. Mm-hmm. So like that. that was either right when or right before the ban was lifted on absinthe. But also that shows how much crazy legislation is or like knee jerk to things things can be. Yeah. Like one Swiss farmer happens to murder his family and nobody can get drunk and make awesome paintings like Vincent van Gogh. I mean, it's just, it sucks. It's like this whole knee jerk thing where once again, this is what this podcast is about. It is about the fact that you take things at face value and not question them. And then all of a sudden people cannot drink something. Well, I mean, and it, that's it. That's boiled down to a less yeah. serious thing in this episode, but you know, I wonder how much art we lost because of the absinthe band. band. I don't know. Band, band, band. Anyway, so um, like we said before, like Ryan casually mentioned, it was pretty sweet. Nice little segue. If you guys could go subscribe to us on YouTube, that'd be pretty baller. Uh, we're we gonna getting, keep fucking annoying you. Yeah, until, until we, we get have to hundred. Until we get to that that hundred, we're gonna we're gonna keep being dick bags because about it. Because then we can not make it YouTube.com/slash number 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 letter number letters. <laughs> Yes, uh, <laughs> iTunes reviews always helpful. If you guys wouldn't mind doing that, that's awesome. Greg, how else can they reach us? You can find us at rumorfliespodcast.com, rumorflies at gmail.com, at rumorflies on Twitter and Instagram. You can find us on Google Plus for that sweet, sweet SEO. You can find us at facebook.com slash rumorflies. <laughs> and um, you can call us at five zero. <laughs> no, but uh, yeah, basically, if you uh, search for us on Google Play, iTunes, your phone number? Stitcher. I was about to try to recall one of y'all's numbers, but realized there's no way in hell I could ever remember y'all's phone numbers. But um, you can Google Play, iTunes, um, Stitcher, any major podcasting app, even obscure ones, we're on it. I, I'd be pretty surprised if you found one we weren't on. If you do, let me know. I'll add us to it. But yeah, search Rumor Flies and that's probably us. We are also part of the Dark Myths Collective. You can check that out at darkmyths.org. You'll be hearing more about that, as you've already heard uh, from previous guests this season. You might be hearing a little bit more about that in the near future. I've been telling you for months. Uh, just just saying, it's been a long time coming. Hint, hint. I'm not going to give any more hints. No, that that was our, my last little hint, hint for the season finale. But seriously, Dark Myths are awesome. Great group. They've been great to us, and we're, we want to kick a little back to them. So check them out. There's some amazing podcasts on there. You know what? Let's just throw a plug in right there. Twilight Histories. Oh my God! We've already Jordan. plugged him, but we'll Doesn't plug him again. Doesn't matter. We love that him. Voice. Yeah, Jordan Harbor's amazing. Oh That's so God. much fun. If, if you, you want some awesome universes to base your D and D campaign say, if you on, D and D, you need to go. <laughs> then you go ahead and listen to Twilight History. It's like a history episode meets the Twilight Zone, hence the name. But it, it's very appropriate. It's fun. It's very engrossing. It's very engaging, and um, I highly recommend it. I need to. I personally need to catch up on some uh, some of the last couple because I've been missing out. But man, did I really enjoy listening to all those. Man, oh man. Yeah. So uh, I believe that wraps about everything up. Uh, I'm Josh. I'm Ryan. I'm Greg. Thanks again, everybody. Bye. Bye.
Hey everyone, this week's closing song is Yindi Halda's Golden Threads from the Sun.